0: Uh, Back in high school, I took up running. I know you can't tell today, but I did. I ran distance. And I got involved in a track club in our town of Columbia, Missouri. Columbia Track Club. And so I used to go on these runs every other weekend. And some of the runs I really enjoyed because they were just around, you know, a track or they were on concrete and they were in neighborhoods and all that fun stuff. But a few times a year there would be these things called kind of mud runs or um, wood runs, whatever you want to call them. And and I actually didn't like these at all, but I still did them because I felt like if I didn't do them, it was lame. And so I used to go with a couple friends and we would do these runs. And inevitably, it's a cold day, inevitably when these runs come around, when you're out in the woods, it's been raining. So it's disgusting. There's mud. There's water all over the place. And during these runs it 's been set up in a way I, I, I promise you every run that I did was set up this way about halfway through when you 're just worn out. you come to a creek and you can 't run around it you can 't just run around it and skip the creek. The point was you had to go through it and I hated this because it meant that your shoes were going to be wet the rest of the time you 're going to get blisters it was you 're going to be cold you 're going to be freezing, and I hated it. I would have much rather gone around the creek like Even if it had been a long way around, it's like, hey, send me over there. I'll catch you guys for donuts afterwards. I'm not going through the creek. But everybody had to go through the creek. And so the question wasn't whether you were going to go through it. It was, how are you going to go through it? How are you going to get through it? And I think the same is is true for us in a lot of life. There are things that you and I, we know this, that we are going to face, that we're going to go through, that we're going to face that we can't just go around, that we're going to have to go through. They're very difficult things. They're very hard things. Some of you know this all too well. You've already gone through really difficult things. You might be going through something that's really difficult right now. And so let me just ask you, how do you go through hard things? How do you go through suffering? How do you go through challenges? How do you go through the stress and anxiety of difficult situations, difficult seasons, difficult relationships, difficult things that pop up in your life? How do you do it? Do you resort to to maybe drinking? To maybe hiding out? Maybe you get angry? Uh, Maybe you go on social media and you talk about it and that's, that's where you go. Where do you go when things get difficult? Where do you go when things get challenging? And let's just sum it up. Where do you go when suffering is real? And I'm not just talking about suffering in the sense of, you know what, my favorite show's not on Netflix right now and I'm suffering. Or they didn't have my dessert at the restaurant that I went to on Friday and I'm suffering. Not that there aren't different levels of suffering, but I'm talking about the real heavy stuff of life. The real heavy stuff of life that you can't go around and you have to go through. How do you go through it? What does that look like? Because none of us are immune to suffering. It's one of the inevitables of life. Let me just ask this. If you're a Christian here, you can answer this. When you met Jesus, did all of your problems go away? All right, let me ask again. This wasn't rhetorical. When you met Jesus, did all of your problems go away? No. I know that's not like a great banner for, meet Jesus today. Like, you'll, none of, you know, But the reality is, all of us, Christian or non-Christian alike, even with Jesus, we're still going to face difficult things in our life. There are going to be times that are really heavy. There are going to be times that even feel almost unbearable, that are very, very difficult, that are very, very challenging. There's going to be that question before us, okay, how do we go through it? Where do we go? What do we do for all of us? Maybe you guys know this song. It's a little bit older. Um, It was originally written by Fleetwood Mac. It was also covered by the Dixie Chicks, and that's how I know it better. I know that's embarrassing. Um, some of you are like, Dixie who? Like, what is that? Um, it was a band of ladies in the, uh, in the 90s. That's as, that's as in-depth as I'm going to go in that. But for whatever reason, this past week, Laura and I were in the kitchen. We were cooking, and these lyrics kind of came to my mind, and I started singing this song. Not singing it well. I'm admitting a lot this morning. Uh, but this song that you, some of you may know, it's called, it's called Landslide. And here's what this says. I want you to listen to a few of these lyrics here. It says... Can I sail through the changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing because I built my life around you. But time makes you bolder. Even children get older, and I'm getting older too. Whether you're a Christian or not, this this resonates with you. No matter where we are, it resonates for all of us because it addresses some of the biggest questions that we have, especially when things are difficult. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I going? Does it matter? What's the point? Does it get better? And as Jesus is spending this final meal with his disciples, this would have resonated with them. They've been with Jesus for three years. They've been spending intimate time with Jesus, the one who claims to be the Son of God. And this would have absolutely resonated with them because as we enter into this Last Supper, these last few hours with Jesus, before he's betrayed, before he's crucified, before he goes to a cross to suffer an incredible death that we couldn't even comprehend, John gives us a glimpse into the disciples' hearts. I think it's easy for us to think that maybe his disciples were just rough and tough, and in a lot of ways they were. They were fishermen, they they knew what challenges were. But I think we need to remember that they weren't emotionless. What Jesus had to say wasn't easy for them to hear. They had built their life around him. And so as they spend these last few moments together, these last few hours together, these men, don't miss us, were very in tune with their emotions. And over this evening, their emotions start to pour out in different ways. And here's what they see is that even these devoted disciples of Jesus who were with Jesus for three years straight, even they struggled. Even they found the things that Jesus was about to say very difficult. And they suffered through it in a lot of different ways. And so far in this evening, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He's shown amazing humility. He's shown them what it, what it means to serve. He's also shown them what it means to love. He's given them a new command. But then comes a point in the night where he says, and now I'm, I'm leaving. And now I'm leaving. And you can hear in the text the disciples wrestling with this and the reality of we are afraid of changing. We're afraid of going through this without you. We've built our life around you. And now you say that you're leaving and you're saying that we can't can't follow where you're going. And I want us this morning in a very real way and a very honest way to look at how Jesus responds to the disciples' pain. Real pain. Emotional pain. Even spiritual pain and difficulty and suffering as they hear this. The one who is the son of God is now saying you've been with me and now I'm I'm leaving. Where I'm going, you can't follow. Because how he responds in the midst of their confusion, their suffering, their pain, it's the same way that he speaks to us. So, as we walk through this, whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to ask this question, which is going to pop up What am I building my life around? It's a big question, but it's one that I want us to ask as we walk through this passage this morning for a few minutes. Because it's an honest question that gets to our heart. What am I building my life around? So let's turn to John chapter 14. If you've got your Bible, uh, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a red one that's probably in front of you. It's also going to be up here on the screen. We're going to read through this together. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say, and we're also going to look at what this has to do with us. And so we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 14. During the Last Supper, Jesus had told the disciples, I'm going, and where where I go, you can't follow at this time. So verse 1, Jesus says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This word troubled is really important. It's not not a small word. It doesn't mean, hey, brush it off. This isn't a big deal. Troubled, if you define this in the correct way, this was acute emotional distress. Jesus is talking about something incredibly difficult He knew the things that he was saying. He knew that him leaving, it was going to cause great difficulty for the disciples. It was going to cause a lot of questions for the disciples. He knew that the days ahead were going to be incredibly difficult for them. He knew that the years ahead, as they would go to help plant the early church, and then many of them suffer excruciating deaths. That's going to be difficult. And he's saying, as I go, let your hearts not be troubled. He knew that this was painful. I mean, you can see the disciples even even saying this, and some of the questions that they ask, it's, it's this sense of, we left our homes, we left our jobs, we followed you, we've been with you now for three years, we love you, you're our best friend, and we don't want you to go. And Jesus knew that. And he says, let your hearts not be troubled. I thought about when I was, when I was younger, and I went to the hospital, and, and my aunt was in the hospital, and she'd been sick for a while, but it was that feeling of, you went to the hospital, and the doctors come out, and they tell you is a family that She's not going to be going home this time. You can feel the weight of that, the heaviness of that, because it's someone you love. It's someone you have a deep relationship with. Some of you have have suffered that. You've suffered loss in different ways, and you feel that weight. You feel that acute emotional distress. And it's important that we put ourselves there because Jesus is talking to these men who are struggling, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And so how are they supposed to deal? How are we supposed to deal our hearts are troubled. Jesus says this, and it's a simple word, but it's so complex in so many different ways. He says, "Believe, believe. Here's the remedy: believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me." And this is a this is a hard thing. Christianity is not about just believing, and then you kind of just dust your hands. You don't think anymore. You close your mind. You turn off your emotions. You just believe. That's, that's not what it's about. It's challenging. There's wrestling. There are questions. There's times of suffering and struggles. In fact, we need to be very careful, even as Christians, when we encounter people in their suffering to not just say, hey, just believe. That's actually very hurtful because there's real emotions, there's real pain, there's real hurt. And Jesus knew this. He knew that this was going on in his disciples' lives, and he's saying, hey, let let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. I know it's hard, but at the same time, Jesus can say this because he knows what he has to offer. He knows what he has to offer. He knows who he is. He knows that what he's promising will stand up. And this is so true. The bigger your problem, the bigger your suffering, the bigger your God needs to be. And the God of the Bible, he's a big God. That's what we see unfold. Jesus in verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus saying, "I've, I've never lied to you and so I'm not lying now. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, in some older translations, you may have seen the word mansions. It's actually not a great translation. The word rooms here comes from the word monet, which is where we get our term monastery. A place that you would go and you would stay for a long, extended period of time. And so Jesus is saying, I've, I'm going and I'm going to prepare a place for you, not necessarily a mansion. I don't know if you've seen uh, the show Last Man on Earth on Fox. It's good. It's It's hilarious. But you, you get this picture, you can, you can understand the premise of the show, right, by the title? Okay, I want to explain that. Um, but you get this picture of there's just a ton of these huge, like, mansions on this block, and everybody's kind of, well, everybody, sorry, spoiler, he's not really the last man on earth, sorry. Um, but everybody's staying in different places, and it actually doesn't seem that awesome. It seems really lonely. Like, if heaven or where we're going is just to stay in a huge mansion by ourselves. That might be cool for a couple days, it might be pretty sweet, but that's going to be pretty lonely. That doesn't seem like something just phenomenal and awesome, if that's, if that's what heaven looks like. And I think sometimes in our minds that's what we think. Like there's just mansions, and they're all spread out, and we're just going to hang out in our own mansion and, and kind of hang out by ourselves. That's not it at all. In fact, in this passage, even in saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, there are many rooms, here's the context. For the early readers, they were reading this, would have been a man as he proposed to his soon-to-be wife He wouldn't go out and build a new house. What he would do is he would build onto his father's house. He would add a room. And why would he do that? He would add a room onto his father's house so that the family could be together. This is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing for his church, his bride. As he is the bridegroom, he's saying, I'm going, I'm going to add on so that we can all be together. As a family, the bride and the bridegroom And he says this in verse 3, he says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Do you notice something unique there? He doesn't say, I will take you to heaven. He says, I will take you to myself, which is incredibly personable. It's incredibly relational, especially in the midst of what these disciples are hearing, that Jesus, the one they've built their life around, is now leaving. He says, I'll come and I'll take you to myself. You notice he doesn't give too much description about the location itself. And I think in our Western world and even in church, we can get caught up in the location and even the amenities of heaven. Like, all right, let's talk about heaven a little bit. Like these streets of gold, are those going to be 10 carat or 24 carat? Let's talk about the meals in heaven. Like, are these going to be on like a five-star level? Are we going to get our, our own like guest suite? What's this going to look like? I want to know some of the details of this place that I'm going to to spend eternity in. But that's not the point. Jesus is saying, I'm going, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you to myself. I will come, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The point is not that you get a location. It's not that you get a place. It's not that you get all these amenities and gold streets and all these things. It's that you get Jesus. You get God. That's what he's telling his disciples here. I'm going to take you to myself. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God cares about you? Do you know that Psalm 139 is true? That he knows your innermost being? That before you were ever born, he knit you together in your mother's womb? Doesn't that make you feel at least some bit of comfort when you're suffering, when you're struggling? That there's a God who actually knows you personably? That he hasn't just like sent you off to do whatever you want to do, but he actually knows you, and he loves you, and he cares about you. And if you're suffering today, and if you're struggling today in any area of life, no matter how big or how small, I want you to know this, is that God cares, and he knows it. He knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you have doubts. He knows where you're wrestling. He knows where you're questioning, whether he even cares or is listening, and he's big enough to hear it. But he loves you, and Jesus loves you so much that he says, I'm coming back, and I'm not just going to take you to a location. I'm going to take you to myself because I love you this much. That Jesus watches over us, that as we enter into the family of Jesus, the shame and the judgment goes away and we get grace and love. It's a beautiful picture. It's awesome. The point is we get to be with Him for eternity. That we get Jesus, that the King is coming to take His people home. As you suffer, as you struggle, as you face things that feel almost unbearable, I want you to know this. If you're a son or daughter of God, this is not it. In fact, things get way better. There's a day when Jesus will come and he will wipe away all the tears and he will take away all the pain and he will take you home to your permanent dwelling. He's added on a room to the Father's house so that you can be with the family. And so he's saying, even, even though this is difficult, even though you're struggling, I'm coming back for you and I'm going to take you home. And home is not just a location, it's the full manifestation of God. You get to be with me, you get to be with the Father, you get to be with the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 4, and now you know the way to where I'm going. He says, you know where I'm going, to the disciples. And Thomas, he speaks up and he says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can see this in, in Thomas and what he says. He's scared of losing Jesus. He's scared of losing track of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm going, and you know the way. And Thomas is saying, where are you going? Like, you haven't given us a map. <laughs> if there was a map that we're supposed to keep track of, I haven't seen it. So, so what is this way? We don't know. We need you to tell us because we don't want to lose you. And then, this is one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, is Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes To the Father, but through me. And I want us to see two things here in this amazing statement. First off, this is absolutely about the exclusivity of Christ, meaning that Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way. There's this idea that kind of pops up that maybe God is at the top of a mountain and you can take a ton of different roads and a ton of different beliefs, believe a ton of different things, but no matter what you believe and no matter what religion you ascribe to, somehow at the end it all gets to God. Now, there's a few problems with that. Even as Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say a way. He says, there's, there's no other translation. You can go searching. Like, I, I want to see what that word the really means. It means no other, as he says this. One of the issues is this. Have you thought about this? The idea that all religions or all beliefs would lead to a God to lead to a singular God? I mean, think about this. Think about some of the differences in some beliefs. Some religions actually condone forms of murder while others say that that's absolutely wrong. Some say you should only be married to one husband or one wife, while others say you can be married to as as many wives as you want. Some say that there are works that you can do and good works that you can do that will actually bring you to a place of salvation, while others say there's absolutely nothing that you can do that will bring you to a place of salvation. If you rolled out a book and you looked at all the different possible beliefs and you put them out on the table, here's what you would get. A massive amount of contradictions— So if all those roads lead to a singular God, we don't have a God who's inclusive and good. We have a God who's crazy. And who has a, I'm not not kidding, who has a massive schizophrenia and personality disorder. And that's not a God that I would want to put my life, trust with my life. So that's a massive issue there that you actually need to think about when we hear this, like all roads lead to God. How can they? But also, and maybe even the bigger thing is that, is this. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen one of these. I had to go to a museum to get one. For those that lived back in the day of landlines, those are a real thing too. Uh, this is a phone book. I actually couldn't even find one. It just ended up on the steps of our office last night. And I was like, well, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. So like, seriously, I'm not lying. So I could bring it up here. But here's the deal. Let's pretend that all our numbers are actually in this. Let's pretend that we have landlines. Let me pretend that like, I want to call my wife. Now, if I just go flipping through this phone book, and I say, hey, that looks like a good number, and I start dialing up that number, I can't just dial any number in here and get to Laura. I can't. Now, why is that? It's Because the only way to Laura is through Laura. Here's what I want you to understand. Is that if God was a location, if he was a force, if he was um, just a, a, a thing, then I can get maybe the different roads and different paths to God. But God is absolutely personable relational he's exclusive he's a person (laughs) and what jesus says here is incredibly important he's saying the only way to god is through god and i am god and so the only way that you can come to god is through me and so if you don't have a relationship with jesus i want you to think about this maybe you've heard a lot of that there's a lot of different ways to get to christ what jesus says here which no one else says by the way No one else makes these claims. Muhammad doesn't make these claims. Buddha doesn't make these claims. Jesus says, I am the son of God. I am fully God and I am the only way to God. Think about what Jesus has to say here. Maybe you've been going through different roads or you've just been kind of crossing your fingers hoping that you'll get to God. Jesus says very clearly here, he is the only way. Now the beauty is he makes a way. He makes a way for you to actually get to him. But you can only get to God through God And so Thomas was thinking about a road, and he's saying, where's the map? How do we get here? And what Jesus is saying, no, it's not a road. It's a relationship. And it's a relationship with me. But here's what else Jesus is saying here, and I think this is really important. I think this actually is even the main point, is Jesus is talking to his disciples. Is he saying this to comfort them? I mean, think about who he's talking to here. He's not talking to people that didn't believe in him. He's talking to devoted followers. So if this were just about the exclusivity of Christ, that really doesn't make sense, because the setting, Jesus talking to his disciples who were devoted to Him, who he deeply loved and cherished. And so this is how he comforts, comforts his children when they're suffering, when they're struggling. This is how He was comforting the disciples. He was reminding them of who He was. He was reminding them to stay focused on Him.. Uh, I feel like it's good to be honest as we talk about this. Uh, the past The past few years have been just tough on a on a family level, but even the past six months, especially for, for whatever reason. But there are there aren't days um, every day uh, when I wake when I wake up. I wish I wish our house was a lot louder. I wish there was a lot of noise happening. I wish there were little ones running around, but they're not. And on a daily basis, when I think, God, do you even hear these requests? Do you even care? And I have my own doubts, and I have my own struggles, and I have the own things that I wrestle with, and the temptation there to throw in the towel, or the temptation to run somewhere else. This passage is what I have to remind myself of. This truth is what keeps me going. And it needs to be poured down deep into our souls. Believers, when we are tempted to, to run from God, when we are tempted to worship false gods, when we're tempted just to throw in the towel in our deepest pain and suffering, we need to hear this. And we need to remind ourselves, I know the way. I know the truth. I know the life. Today, in my suffering, I know the way. I know the truth. I know the life. And it's not just a thing, and it's not just duplication. It's in the person of Jesus. Jesus says this to his disciples to mainly comfort them, As you go through pain and you go through suffering, you know the way, Thomas, it's me. You know the truth, Thomas, it's me. You know where life is found, Thomas, it's in me. And we need to be reminded of this every day. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, and I can relate with him, he's saying, just show us a little bit more and we'll really believe. Just show us the Father. Come on, Jesus. And we'll be good just a little bit more. And Jesus, this is, this is hopeful in some ways, that it's possible to spend three intimate years with Jesus and to still miss it. And some of us have been believers for years and I think we still miss it, especially when harder times come. Jesus is saying, you you know the Father because you know me. In verse 10, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. You want to see the Father Thomas, look at me. If you want to know about what God's like, look at me. I think this is amazing that we don't have to guess when it comes to God. We actually see the character of God through jesus that god took on flesh and bones that he showed himself and so when we want to know what god is like we look at jesus we look at the way he loved we look at the way that he interacted with people we looked at the way that he cares for people we look at the way the things that he says we look at his character and that's what jesus is saying to his disciples if you've seen me you've seen the father if you've seen me you've seen the father i think this is an amazing thing that we aren't just left to guess And he's saying, I'm doing the Father's works. I don't speak on my own authority. I'm doing the Father's will. And 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus says, even if that's a struggle, even if that's a challenge for you, look at all the works. Look at everything that you've seen. Look at what we've done. It's all proof of this. Can you think of some of the signs that Jesus did? I mean, he turned water into wine. He He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He brought the dead back to life. And what Thomas is reminding his disciples of, and and I think what he's really even reminding us of, is don't forget what I've done, and don't forget who I am. Don't forget that you can trust me. I'm trustworthy. So when you do suffer, don't just turn away from me. When you do struggle, don't just turn away. Don't just go your own way. Don't just get angry. Don't just resort to spending money or drinking or another substance or whatever it may be, don't do those things, but remember that I'm good for it. Look at the things that I've done. Look at the things that I've taught you. I can relate with this. It's not that struggling doesn't end at salvation, but it's where we take it that's the key. Are we taking it to Jesus? Are we building our life around him? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. The greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. I've seen this passage taken out of context about a billion times. Well, here's what this means. This means that we are going to do some crazy miracles. I don't know, but I've yet to have any of you come to me and tell me that you've made wine out of water. I just haven't seen it. Um, If it has happened, I might be at your house for the Super Bowl. (laughs) Um, But I haven't seen this happen. I haven't seen any of you come to me and say, you know what, I raised a dead person yesterday. Seriously, I just haven't seen it. This verse can easily be taken and it's like, okay, well we're gonna do miracles like Jesus did miracles, and that's what this means. We're gonna do greater works. Like and then we get really discouraged when we don't see it happening. We're like, what's going on? Did I not say the magic words? Did I not like rub the wand around the right number of times? Like, why are these things not happening? Because we need to understand what the greater works really are here. He's not just talking about miracles. Otherwise, Jesus would have needed to hold miracle learning classes. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't devote any chapters of the Bible to here's how you do miracles. What he's talking about here is amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's something we can do. What he's talking about, this greater work, is the church. He's talking about the church going forward, sharing the good news of the gospel. He's saying that's the greatest work. As I go to be with the Father, you're going to stay here. He's called us to something to share and show people himself, to share with people that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he died for your sins and he offers you grace and salvation that you don't have to suffer. And here's the beauty of it. He'll take you right where you are right now today. You don't even have to go home and clean up. He wants you today. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he's gonna make you totally clean. There's no greater miracle than somebody's heart going from totally dead in stone to flesh and beating for eternity. That's way more impressive than water into wine. What he's talking about here is us, church, doing greater work, spreading the gospel, sharing with our neighbors, sharing with our coworkers, sharing with people around Green Lake, that the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way, and many would come to meet Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's the work that we've been given. That's what Jesus promises, and it's a beautiful work. I never get tired of hearing The story of somebody meeting Jesus. It's the biggest miracle we'll ever witness. And it's a beautiful thing that we actually get to take part in it. And so Jesus tells the disciples, as I go, you'll remain. There's a good work for you to do. Do even greater works than these. Verse 13, as this wraps up. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is another verse where you might be sitting here today, and, and I get it. You might say, I've prayed a ton. I've prayed a ton, and, and sometimes it feels like God just isn't listening. I've offered up a ton of prayers, and those prayers still haven't been answered. And so I'm not sure how this can be true. Anything, you'll do, anything I ask, you'll do it. How does this make sense? Well, the key here is, is this. Whatever you ask in my name, in my name. So asking in Jesus' name is not just this tagline. It's not just an opportunity to say, Jesus, I'd really like a Hummer today. I'd really like a Jet today. I'd really like to go home, pull up Bank of America, check out my bank account, and it's just blowing up today. And uh, Oh, and by the way, in Jesus' name. That's not what's being said here. That's not the point. The key is this, and I think this is important for us. There's no magic words here. It's this question. Do my prayers match God's character? Are the things that I'm praying for, would Jesus sign his name at the end of it? And say, yeah, I, agree. I totally agree with that. That's what it means in Jesus' name, that we would pray in a way that our hearts are aligned with God's heart. He's telling the disciples this. So it doesn't mean that you're just going to pray for anything out of the blue, and God's just going to give you that, but are you pr- what are you praying for? Maybe that's a good place to start. Like, what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? And if we actually think about it, it's like, well... Yeah, I've been praying for maybe a lot of stuff. I've praying that life would just get easier. That's, that's a big prayer. It's like, okay, well, it's good to be honest about that. Now let's look and let's see, is this something Jesus would put his name at the end of? That he would say amen and amen. Now at the same time, some of us in here today, and I don't want to belittle this, you're like, I have been praying in Jesus' name and it still hasn't happened, so I want to know what's going on there. And I hurt for you there, and I feel for you there. Maybe suffering for you has been a loss of relationships. Maybe it's been a loss of health. Maybe it's been just a loss of dreams, a loss of different things that you thought were going to turn out, and you're like, I've been praying hard on my hands and knees, and it still feels like this hasn't happened. I feel like this is in alignment with God's heart. I don't have a magic answer for you. Here's what I would say is that God's timing from what we see from Scripture is perfect. And although we can't see it now, He absolutely does. He knows exactly what He has for you, and He knows when He has it for you, and He knows exactly what that looks like. Because God is a good Father. And so although it's tough, here's what I would remind you of. In Jesus is the truth. In Jesus is the way. In Jesus is the life. Even when we can't see it. and So how do you pray? I mean, that's a, that's a good question too. How should we pray? Okay, what do we, what do we pray for? I mean, look at the Lord's Prayer that we read at the beginning. If you go through it really quickly. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So first off, God, you're amazing. You're awesome. Uh, I, I humble myself before you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, I want to be in alignment with you in earth as it is in heaven. And what's God's will? God's will is that many would come to know him, be cleaned by him, and have an eternity that is far different. Being with him as he comes back takes you to his than being separated from him in hell. So God, I want to be in alignment with your will on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, would you please just meet my needs? I don't need the hum around 22s. But Jesus, would you meet my needs today? Would you meet my family's needs today? Would you provide for me? I'm trusting that you will. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus, I'm remembering that you went to the cross and forgave me of my sins, so would you allow me to keep forgiving other people? Thank you for forgiving me. Now may I respond to that and forgive others. And lead me not into temptation. God, I know I'm gonna be tempted to run from you. I know I'm gonna be tempted to run from sin, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God, you are big enough. You are good enough. I give this to you today in Jesus' name. So as we pray, are we praying in that way? Are we praying in a way that's aligned with God's heart? That's what he's challenging the disciples with here. The disciples were struggling and they were suffering at what Jesus had shared with them. And you and I do the same. Let me just say this. There are different types of suffering, but let's please never, and I'm talking to Christians right now, let's please never minimize anyone's suffering. Let's please not ever be that prideful or arrogant. To think that the suffering for a single mom, maybe just raising a kid is, is on a lower level than maybe your suffering, or maybe the suffering of just in different ways, not being able to, I don't know, not being able to sleep, not being, all, all these things, the stuff, suffering of just things coming up in life, I, all of that, let me just blanket it in saying, let's never minimize one another's suffering. Instead, let's pray for one another. Let's be there for one another. Let's love one another. I just feel like I need to say that. As the disciples are struggling, as Jesus said, I'm leaving and you can't go where I'm going. And the disciples are crying out, but we've built our life around you. Don't go. Why are you going? Where are you going? There's this truth that when we build our life around Jesus, even in the midst of great suffering, there's greater hope. Because of the cross of Jesus, Jesus, where he's going, we see this, that the way, the truth, and the life is lifted up. In the cross, every roadblock is removed that existed between you and God, as he takes the punishment on your behalf. Every roadblock is removed. Jesus provides a way. In the cross, he takes what you and I deserved in our old identity as enemies of God, and he crushes it and declares that we are now and will forever be clean sons and daughters of God. And he takes away the lies that you are too broken, that you are not lovable. He takes away all that, and he says, If you'll trust in me, I'll clothe you in my righteousness. You'll be perfectly clean. I will now count you into the family. I'll build on a room for you that you'll spend with me. He's the truth. But on the cross, Jesus put your death to death and gave up his life so that you could have eternal life. He's the life. Through the cross, all of these claims and all of these things are made true. And so if you're a Christian today, as you go through life, and as you may be even struggling right now, as you may be suffering, as there's a temptation to maybe go a different way, or there's a temptation to run to something else. My prayer is this, that you would be comforted by what Jesus says to his disciples. That you would be incredibly comforted, and that you would continually remind yourself that the one that you've built your life around, Jesus, is worth building your life around. That even as you doubt, even as you wrestle, even as you look at different things and you struggle, be reminded, I know the way, I know the truth, I know the life, it's found in Jesus. And would you run to him with all of it? Because he cares and he loves you that much. And if you're not a Christian today, if you don't know Jesus and you know that you don't know Jesus and maybe you're just curious or you've got questions or, or you've just stayed kind of distant from Jesus because maybe you thought there were multiple ways to get to God, but now you're wondering if that's true or not. Or maybe you thought that you were too broken, too messed up. Why would God want, anything, want to have anything to do with you? But now maybe you're understanding that God loves you and that he cares about you right where you are. The invitation today would be come join the family. Come join the family. God's arms are wide open for you today. He went to the cross on your behalf. Through his blood, through his body broken, he made a way for you. He made a way to the truth that offers life.